You know, I was just thinking about First Wednesday. I, I love First Wednesday for one reason, really many reasons, but I like it at the, because it's at the end of a work day. And I find myself feeling a couple of competing emotions. You know, I'm used to speaking on Saturdays and Sundays, and those are typically wor- worship service days, and they have their own responsibilities. But on Wednesday, I, I don't know if anyone, does anyone feel like the day's been chasing you all day long? And I feel like I'm not caught up, you know. And so there's a part of me that I've had a full work day. And, and I'm, I, on the other hand, I find myself so delighted at the end of a work day to be in, in God's house. And so I'm almost wishing we could have worship every, at the end of every work day, right? Because while I'm tired and exhausted from the day, I find myself getting reset just being in here. Isn't that great what worship does? Does that do that for you? I mean, you know... You know, I get I, through the years. I've, I'm electronically challenged, and, and I'd have this electronic device. I get it all messed up, and I go to Mary Allison. She's so technical and and so systematic in her way of approaching things. And Mary Allison would say, "Well, Mark, you just need to have it reset to manufacturer's specifications, you know, or manufacturer settings." And and I think that's what happens to me when I worship. I feel like I get reset to the manufacturer settings. And uh, so it's just been a blessing, you know, I'm sure you're tired like I'm tired, but at the same time, what a joy it is to get together with God's people and open God's Word. Uh, On First Wednesday, I always try to bring something to you that uh, might be kind of special because I I always feel like for everyone who comes out on First Wednesday, you really love the Lord and you're pursuing God, as A.W. Tozer said, uh, very seriously. And so it's not that what I preach on the weekend is not serious. It is very serious. But there are times when I just want to share things about the Christian walk that might not normally get shared. And tonight, I'm going to bring a message on a topic I've never preached on. I'm 62, and I've been preaching since I was 16. That's quite a few years. That's quite a few uh, sermons. But I've never preached a sermon on this topic. However, it's something that I've watched happen time and time again. Uh, Part of, I guess that's part of the blessing of being a leader for so long is that you just see things happen over and over again and, and sometimes something is just born out of experience that brings you to talk on a topic. I remember I was speaking at a pastor's meeting and I wasn't scheduled to speak. I was kind of brought up to speak on the spur of the moment and uh, I brought a message and uh, it, it was extemporaneous but it's something I've been thinking about for a long time and a young pastor was there and he asked me at the end, he said, did you have that sermon prepared? I said, no. When they asked me to come up on stage, I just talked about it. He said, how long did it take you to prepare that message? I said, three minutes and 30 years. And so that's true. Uh, but this, tonight's message is, is something that's come out of about, uh, of about 42 years of pastoring. And I've seen this happen over and over again. And I think it doesn't get talked about in the church. And because the issue is so important, I feel like... Tonight, it's important for me to share this message. And what I'm concerned about, and I've seen happen so many times, goes something like this. A person can be in a lot of trouble in some kind of difficult life circumstance, and they pursue God in prayer, and God answers their prayer. And when they come out of the situation, they don't act like we would expect them to act. And it happens in a couple of ways. It happens, first of all, for those who are not really attached to God. And this one is not so surprising, but it does happen. And I've seen this so many times. Someone who doesn't have time for God, but they lose their job or they get into a bad health situation. 
and they get very spiritual. And they, you know, in the old days when I was counseling, they'd show up at my office and we'd pray together. And and uh, I remember, I think I shared this story in a sermon not long ago. There was a man, uh, he worked for Boeing. I guess it's okay for me to say that since Boeing's not here anymore. But uh, he worked for Boeing and he had a high level job and he did something that was ill-advised. And uh, he was told at the end of the day that he might not have a job the next day. That he was going to come back and meet with the brass at Boeing. And I mean, he showed up in my office and said, would you pray with me that God will help me keep my job? It's my career. There's no way in the world I could start all over again. So I can see like yesterday was at our old location. And we knelt beside my couch in my office. And I mean, that guy poured out his heart to God. And he confessed everything up to the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> I've never heard a Baptist confess that much. <laughs> And I thought, well, praise God, because I thought, you know, sometimes I guess that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes a valley. And so I'm so excited because I'm thinking, well, now this guy's going to be at church, and he's going to serve God, and he's going to be serious about following God. And sure enough, the next morning when he went to Boeing, the people met with him, and they slapped him on the wrist a little bit, but he kept his job, kept his career, and he's very happy about that, and he called me to let me know. He wasn't even in church the next Sunday. I never saw him again. I've seen that happen so many times. This one's really funny. And again, it, for those of you who have been part of a church like New Spring, you probably won't even have a context for this. But many, many years ago, our church was very traditional. And uh, there was a guy who wrote a book about prophecy. It was a silly book. It, it, <laughs> and, and the moment I tell you the title, you know how many years ago it was. He wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. He was evidently a reason or two short, wasn't he? Since Jesus clearly didn't come in 1988. But you just had to be there. A lot of you weren't even born then. But I'm telling you, people were freaking out over this. And I remember I got a call from from a lady in our church. And, and, and I mean, she had been reading the book. And I guess it was right down to the time where Jesus was supposed to come back. And she called me, and oh my goodness, she was just knew she needed to, she wasn't sure she was saved and needed to get saved right then and was committed to follow God. And then when Jesus didn't come, neither did she. She just never, <laughs> never did come back. <laughs> so I, I, you know, in, in years of pastoring thousands and thousands of people, I guess you probably wouldn't be surprised that I've seen that happen a time or two. We call those jail jailhouse conversions and, and that kind of thing. And even, even the secular world makes fun of that. But I will say this, I, before I get to sounding too cynical, I have seen people come to faith in trouble like that and truly follow God. That's what I'll be talking about tonight. But what's really peculiar, and this is the one that gets me amazed the most, is I have seen Christian people who are part of church, part of church life, uh, I believe they are God followers. And I have seen them get into trouble from time to time. And I've seen a very peculiar phenomenon happen. And, and these are people oftentimes that I've prayed for every time i prayed. And it's like God miraculously brings them out. And in coming out of that, instead of being grateful, and instead of being humble, and instead of giving God praise... I've seen some of those people become very arrogant. And next thing you know, they're trying to straighten everybody out. Now, to me, I can't put that together. But I've just watched this happen time and time again. 
And so we need to ask the question tonight, what is, what's behind that? Well, I think you would agree with me, first of all, that when that does happen, something is not working the way it's supposed to work. When you and I get into trouble, whether it's health trouble or trouble in our marriage or trouble with our kids or trouble with our emotions, God's people are going to get into trouble. And as Zig Ziglar said many years ago, pain is God's megaphone. And, and we all are going to be there. I mean, Scripture teaches that. The Bible never tries to sugarcoat pain in the life of a Christian. I have a favorite verse about being in trouble. And if you haven't fallen in love with it, I hope you will fall in love with it tonight. Because this verse says in three statements, three short, succinct statements, how it's supposed to work when followers of God have trouble in their lives. It is Psalm chapter 50 and the 15th verse. And I'm going to read from the God's Word, God's Word translation. That's, a, that's a, a product name. Not, I'm not, not saying that my translation is superior to anybody else's. <laughs> Here we go. You ready for this? Watch these three statements. Call on me in times of trouble. I will rescue you and you will give me glory. Could we, I mean, I could end the sermon right there tonight, and we could go home, we would have gotten something out of this. I mean, when you and I get in trouble, whenever, if we get sick, or if we have some kind of crisis in our lives, what's supposed to happen is we are to call on God, and then God will help us, and then we give him glory. If, if we don't react the way that verse tells us that we are to react, then something is wrong. So, what happens in a situation? We'll just leave the first one aside uh, for, for the most part. We'll just talk about what is it that happens in a Christian's life when a Christian is in trouble and they pray and everybody else prays and they get out of that trouble and instead of reacting in humble gratitude, there's a kind of arrogance that takes place. It's really important for me to bring this message tonight because, first off, I get into trouble and I want to make sure that I don't go sideways when I get into trouble. So let me just go to the chase right now and then we'll develop this for the rest of the sermon. Here's what goes wrong in the life of a Christian who is in trouble, prays, God gets them out of trouble, and instead of being humble, they become arrogant and lifted up in pride. Instead of humility, what they really had was fear. On the front end, on the front end of their trouble, what sounded like humility was really fear. And on the back end, what sounded like gratitude was really relief. The way that you and I need to react if we are Christians and followers of Jesus is when we get into trouble is humility. That doesn't mean we won't be afraid, but humility needs to be the compelling Compelling, compelling emotion. When we get out of trouble, the, an, the answer is not relief, but it is gratitude. Things go sideways when all we have is fear at the beginning and relief at the end. Now, here's the problem. Fear can sound like humility because fear has brokenness in it. Brokenness is not necessarily humility. Brokenness can be a pathway to humility. But brokenness is not necessarily humility. I mean, the guy who was afraid of losing his job at Boeing, I promise you, he was broken as he was kneeling before my couch, but he wasn't humble. 
He was broken. He just had fear. It was fear talking. It wasn't true humility talking. It was just fear talking. And when he came out of it, what sounded like gratitude to God that day on the phone when he was telling me he was going to be able to keep his job, he really didn't have any gratitude to God. He just had relief that he wasn't getting fired. Here's the biggest problem. It's not, I mean, I think, I think we can parse the difference between fear and humility. It is that relief can so often sound like gratitude. So someone could say, and, and this is what I asked myself, I, I would ask this question, how can I know when I come out of trouble, is it relief talking or gratitude talking? Because frankly, all of us who've ever been in a whole lot of trouble, there is a measure of relief. But how can I know if it's relief or if it's true gratitude? And here's the answer. Here's the, here's the we can cut right down to the chase. Relief is always short-lived. Relief will always want to get back to normal life. Gratitude, on the other hand, will want to continually tell the story of what God has done in our lives. Gratitude will year after year, you know, I mean, here's the thing. If you ever run into a grateful Christian who has been in trouble and God has brought them out of trouble, they will tell that story the day that they come out of the trouble. They will tell that story a year from now, 60 years from now, when they're talking to their grandchildren on their deathbed, they're still going to be saying, I was in trouble and I was sick and God healed me and God brought me out. Gratitude just sounds different from relief because it lasts longer. I teach this tonight because it's so important for us because we will be in trouble. And we want to react to the trouble first on the front end with humility, and then when God brings us out, we want true gratitude. But you guys know, for those of you who've listened to me preach, whether you've been here six weeks or you've been here 34 years, you know that whenever I lay a concept down, I want to make sure that it's biblical and the Bible will sustain that concept because I'm well cognizant of the fact that no one drives as far as you guys drive to hear Mark Hoover's thoughts. So tonight, we have built something. We have said it is really important for us when we get into trouble to come in humility before God, pray and ask God, and when God gets us out of trouble, that we react with gratitude instead of just relief. How do we know that that's true from the Bible, though? You don't have to look these up if you don't want to tonight, but these will be great readings for you. You remember we did a series last summer called Kings and Queens. I think I shared with you that probably, as much as I love David, my favorite king is probably Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great man. And you read about his kingdom. His father was one of the wickedest kings that... Uh, Judah ever had. But amazingly, Hezekiah, as a young man, was an extraordinary king. He brought about a national revival to Judah, cut down the idols, and led, Israel, uh, led, led Judah to worship God. He is one of my heroes. But now, unfortunately, we're going to look at a dark chapter in Hezekiah's life, but it, it will sustain what we've been talking about tonight. When Hezekiah was 39, his pastor, who was Isaiah, the man whom the book is named after, the one who wrote the book of Isaiah. His pastor Isaiah came to the palace. Hezekiah had gotten sick. He didn't know if he was going to get well. And Isaiah came to the palace, and Isaiah said, I've got some bad news for you. I've talked to God about this, and you're going to die, and you're not going to live. And so you need to get, every, get your affairs in order because you are going to die. Now, it's at that moment that Hezekiah 
turns to the wall and he begins to pray. Now, between you and me, it sounds like humility, but we're going to discover later this is just fear talking. Watch this. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he woke down and wept bitterly. Now, between you and me, that sounds like humility, although uh, there are just a few little places in that prayer that might not sound like humility if you really looked at it carefully. But it sounds like humility. Now, how did God react to that? Well, we know from the rest of the story that God heard his prayer and he sent Isaiah back. Before Isaiah got out of the courtyard of the palace, God sent Isaiah back to Hezekiah and said, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. I'm going to add 15 years to your life. So Hezekiah now has 15 more years to live in response to God's prayer or to his prayer to God. Unfortunately, when we read the rest of Hezekiah's story, we discover that Hezekiah had the problem that we've been talking about tonight. Now, this, the story of Hezekiah is actually in two books in the Old Testament. It's in the book of 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings. Now, love, when, those of you who were here with the Kings and Queens study last, uh, last summer, you'll know that sometimes we would toggle back and forth because Chronicles would have a, a, have a detail that Kings wouldn't have and vice versa. So I'm going to ask your permission right now to look at both of those books because, first of all, I want you to hear what happens um, from Second Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31, the Bible says, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him and to see what was really in his heart. Everything that we've discussed tonight up to this point really fits into that one statement. Because Hezekiah is a great man. He is a godly man. When, he, when, when we get to heaven, I think this man's going to be very prominent in heaven. He's going to get a lot of rewards. But right now, God is looking on Hezekiah's heart after he has healed him. You know, these Babylonians come over to have a get well visit. And God kind of steps back a little bit because God wants to see what's in Hezekiah's heart really. Now, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 20. The same visit the Babylonians are coming to see Hezekiah right after he gets well. Hezekiah received the Babylonian envoys and showed them everything in his treasure houses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the aromatic oils. He also took them to see his armory and showed them everything in his royal treasuries. There was nothing in his palace or kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Now Isaiah, his pastor, is coming back to the palace because this time Hezekiah has got another message from God. And I want you to read it. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 14. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked him, what did those men want? Where did they come from? Hezekiah replied, they came from Babylon. What did they see in your palace? Isaiah asked. They saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything I own, all my royal treasuries. Isn't something missing there? Here are these Babylonians who came all the way from Babylon to do a get well visit on Isaiah because they heard, I mean, to Hezekiah, they heard he's been sick. And I don't hear anything. Do you hear anything about Hezekiah saying to these Babylonians, you know, guys, I was really sick. I was in a lot of trouble, and I, I thought I was going to die. In fact, I knew I was going to die, and I turned, and I prayed to my God, and my God heard my prayer, 
Because these Babylonians need to know about that. They don't worship the God Jehovah. But when they come over to see Hezekiah, Hezekiah is putting on his act of being a big king. And he's strutting his stuff and saying, look at all this stuff that I have. Why? Because what sounded like humility was really fear. And now, instead of gratitude, there's just relief. Well, just in case anyone's asking, is it really all that serious? Look at verse 16. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off by Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. This is a question that I don't know the answer to. It's over my pay grade. But there are times when I look at Hezekiah's story and ask, would he actually have been better off if he'd allowed, if he'd died at 39? Because for the next 15 years, there was nothing good in Hezekiah's reign. Here's the thing that I think is most salient to our discussion tonight. Hezekiah handled trouble just fine. He couldn't handle blessing. See, that's the question for me. Can I handle healing as well as I handle sickness? Can I handle blessing as much as I can handle trouble? God's people for thousands of years have proven that they can handle trouble a lot better than they can handle prosperity. The Israelites couldn't handle being in Canaan and blessing. Why? Because it was just relief. It was just, wow, we're not in Egypt anymore. As opposed to gratitude that said, God, we were in so much trouble and you are the reason why we're out. How can we worship you? How can we serve you? How can we testify to others who don't know about you how good you have been in our lives? Well, I know that's one illustration. So someone could say, is there a pattern? Well, let me take you to another king. This guy's name was Uzziah, another great king. One of the most chilling verses in the Bible to me is Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 15. It says, his fame spread to distant places. Look at this. For he was marvelously helped until he became strong. Oh, this is another one that I've watched too. I've watched Christians as they were struggling through the early part of life, you know, when they didn't have two nickels to rub together. But then they get a good education, and then they begin to get blessed of God, and then they begin to be very successful in life. Not, and, and there are many Christians who do that and go on to become great servants of the Lord and great, great channels of blessing to God's work. But there are some that I've watched through the years that were very humble when they didn't have anything. But at the moment when they begin to get blessed, all of a sudden they know all the answers and they, they sort of know what you should do and what you should do. And they've got the answer for everybody else. And something has gone very dramatically sideways. Like God said about Uzziah, he was marvelously helped until he got strong. And we see his arrogance. Look at this, verse 16. When he became strong, he grew arrogant, and it led to his destruction. He acted unfaithfully to the Lord, and time is fleeting. I won't read the rest of the text that I have here, but he decided he could offer incense just like the priest could, and he went into the temple, and they tried to encourage him not to do that. He did it anyway, and God gave him leprosy the rest of his life. Uzziah was one of the greatest kings Israel ever, that Judah ever had. A great, great king. We'll see him in heaven. But what happened when he got blessed, when he got strong, 
He got full of himself because he forgot to be grateful. I gave you this example in a message right before Thanksgiving, in a message called Nine Men Who Miss Thanksgiving. But think about the 10 lepers. You know what? When they're all crying out, it's kind of hard to tell the difference, isn't it? Jesus, have mercy on us. It all sounds the same, except for the fact that one guy was humble and nine guys were just scared. And where do we see it? We see it on the other side because one guy had gratitude and nine guys were just relieved not to have leprosy anymore. I'm so desperate to learn this lesson myself. I've been very honest with you that I deal with anxiety. And I really believe, and I'm just bearing my own soul here as I preach this message to you, I think it's very easy to convince myself that my fear is humility. Could I say that one more time? I'm just being honest. I think because I deal with anxieties, I don't know if I have any other, anybody else here in the house who deals with anxiety like I do. But you know what? When you, when, you, when, you, when you struggle with anxiety and you start praying to God for what you're scared of, sometimes I think I convince myself that my fear is really humility. And if it could happen to great heroes of mine like Hezekiah and Uzziah, it could happen to me. Well, closing the message out, someone could say, well, Mark, is it really, is it really all that important? I mean, first of all, you haven't preached a message on this in all your career. And if you haven't preached a message on this in 42 years, is it really all that important? Yeah, I believe it is. And I'll give you two reasons. Because if I have trouble, and instead of humility, I come in fear... And when it's all over, instead of gratitude, I react with relief. I've wasted the valley. I don't know if anyone here has ever had surgery and it didn't fix the problem. But I think that's most depressing, isn't it? I mean, it's depressing enough just to have to have surgery, even when it fixes the problem. But to go through all the pain of surgery and all the anxiety and the healing and all the things that you have to do when you come out of surgery. I think it was so hard. I've talked to people who have been through horrific surgeries and it didn't fix the problem. And it's come to me that if God allows me to go through a valley, which is meant to grow my faith, and instead of being humble and grateful, I go into it fearful and just coming out in relief, I've gone through the valley for nothing. I didn't, I didn't get what God wanted me to get out of it. I don't know about you, but I don't like valleys that much. I don't like trouble that much. I mean, the last thing I want to do is go through trouble and not get out of it what God wants me to get out of it. I mean, God could make me repeat the grade. This is something else, too. By the way, I'll be talking about this this weekend in our Jesus Gallery series. We're talking about Jesus stilling the storm. So I think really this is just kind of a preface to that message. You know, so oftentimes we think the story, the news story, is our healing or our deliverance when in reality the real story was meant to be our learning. 
I've been through some crises and God has brought me out. And you know, as I have time to reflect back on that, I realize that the important thing is not so much that God brought me out of the trouble, but what God taught me in that process. And see, if, if I go through a valley and, and, and instead of humility, it's fear, and instead of re- gratitude, it's relief, then I've gone through the valley and even though I've been brought out, I don't have the lesson to learn. I don't have the lesson to share with others. The second reason why this message is important is I'm concerned that it's possible that the answer to my future prayers for deliverance could be delayed if I haven't sorted this out in my heart. As I'll say this weekend, when it comes to the storms of life, you're either coming out of one, you're either going into one, or you're in one right now. But all of us are going through storms. And I don't want, I don't want the answer to my prayer to be delayed because I haven't got this yet. I want to get this. Listen, I'm finished. Somebody could be listening to this message tonight. If you have my personality, I'll tell you what you're thinking right now. You're like, okay, I get the difference between gratitude and relief, but how do you know the difference between fear and humility? Because if you go through a crisis, you're going to have, even if you have humility, you'll still have fear. So how do I know what true humility sounds like? Because don't you think that the likelihood of you coming out of it with gratitude is far stronger if you've got humility on the front end. I mean, it's like if the trajectory is set correctly at the beginning, it's probably going to end up at the right place. So I'm just saying, if we can get this thing of humility figured out, I'll bet you we're going to be fine when it comes to gratitude. Here it is. Fear says, oh no, I'm in trouble and I'm scared. that Things are not going to work out right. Humility says, Lord... I need your help, but I trust you. If you want to know what humility sounds like, follow your Savior into a garden in the shadow of a cross and watch him pray there that night and pour out his heart to his Father. There will be no surprises on the cross to Jesus. He knows well what he's about to experience. They will spit in his face. They will pull out his beard. They will, they will hammer thorns into his scalp and do this after they have beaten him with a whip that had leather thongs and bits of jagged metal, bone, and glass. And every time they would bring the whip down, it would attach to his skin and they would rip the skin off. Josephus and others says that there were those who did not survive the beating. Jesus knows what he's facing. He knows what's going to happen. But just in case that any of us think that the physical sufferings are all that he encountered, I think it was just the beginning of sufferings because Isaiah 53 says, you have made his soul an offering for sin. Anybody here deal with depression or anxiety disorder or bipolar disorder? Seasonal seasonal affective disorder? 
I really believe that not only did Jesus experience all the physical pain that we experience, I think he experienced all the mental and emotional pain we experience on the cross too. The Bible says God made his soul an offering for sin. It'd be one thing if a person was going to go through all that and didn't know about it and it happened and everything was a surprise, but that night when Jesus knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew everything that was going to happen to him. And he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Humility says, Lord, heal me, please, but not my will, but your will. Lord, keep me from this financial collapse. Please help me, but not my will, but your will. Lord, heal my marriage, but not what I want, but what you want. I should finish the sermon before I tell this story because it's pretty uncomfortable. You guys have heard me talk about when I had a collapse eight years ago. It's an interesting thing. I had a, a pastor I reached out to had a similar experience. Unfortunately, he took his life. And um, his biography was just released and they had asked me to write the last chapter of the book. And uh, it, is a, it is a dark valley, and, and, and we've talked about that before. But um, part of what I went through was I was just sure I was dying. And I had some physical symptoms that weren't good, and, and I conflated those to just be absolutely certain I was dying. And nobody could talk me out of it. And Louis Giglio went through the same thing. He talked about it in a message. It's just a, it's a strange thing. But I was just sure I was dying. And after about... And I had to be away. I, I couldn't be here. I was just really incapacitated. You know what the turning point was? In the midst of that, when I was just sure I was dying, I finally came to the place where I said, okay, if I am, then I'm going to go back and I'm going to preach with everything I've got until the last breath I've got. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm dying, then I'm going to go back and give God everything I've got. And it was strange because the moment I took my eyes off my fear and said, I'm going to, if whatever time I have, I'm going to give God everything I have until, until I'm out of here. It was like that was the beginning point of the turnaround. Because you see, here's the deal. I think that whole thing was about God saying, Mark, you need to be humble before me. Before that time, if you had asked me if I was humble, I would have said, oh, yeah, I'm humble. <laughs> I think God saw he had some work to do in my heart. And finally God said, okay, when you get to the place where you're ready to do what I want to do, whatever, I will answer your prayer. You know, I'm still not sure what happened to me eight years ago. I, that's some things are known only to God. I just know he brought me out. And that's why even after all these years, I think I'm still compelled to tell you about it because I don't just feel relief. I feel gratitude. May God help us tonight to know the difference between fear on the front end and humility and gratitude and relief on the back end. I really believe it will change our lives. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Good night. God bless you.